You're listening to Bitter Strawberries. I'm Rosanna and I love writing, rambling and exploring my emotions. Bitter Strawberries is a creative treasure chest of all my thoughts about emotional health, why it's so frequently glossed over and like emotions themselves, suppressed. Join me and you too can be a small seed in a bountiful field of juicy and perfectly imperfect strawberries. All united in a desire to raise awareness and start conversations about things that are deep and meaningful in life. No small talk allowed. Hi everyone, it's Rosanna and you're listening to Bitter Strawberries. This is part two um, of an episode which I haven't given a name to yet, but it will be named when this goes out. Um, but I'm in the last episode I was talking about the problem with conventional cancer stories and why yeah I want to challenge them in my that's my opinion um so I think leading on from the last episode I now want to talk a bit about how the how taking an unconventional approach to treating my cancer um has emotionally affected me because bitter strawberries is all about emotions people and if I don't name those emotions and what how it affected me then I'm not doing my job properly so I gotta do it I gotta do it people um <laughs> but yeah it um credit to Reese, my partner because he just suggested that I do that and that makes a lot of sense and I don't think I've really explored this properly yet um and just to say it's something that still affects me and I'm still going through so it's not like I'm presenting this to you as a finished, polished, perfect story of how I overcame my emotional struggle to take this different route and this is how you can do it too. Hopefully it does fill people in a similar position or feel feeling in a similar way with hope or reassurance, but uh, ultimately it's just my story and it's just what what's happening to me. So here goes. Um yeah, I, I guess when I, I, I suppose the way I've mapped it out so far, I started taking, making decisions that were against the treatment pro- protocol that I was prescribed. And I started doing, making ch- like lifestyle changes, which people wouldn't normally associate with cancer. So like I spoke about um, diet and exercise and lifestyle changes, that I'm sure lots of people with cancer undertakes. So they're just like, I want to be in the healthiest position possible. Like you do see that a lot of people doing that, but you'll see a lot of people who don't and who just carry on with their lives as they were living them. And again, that's not a criticism. That's just to point out that's how different people approach it. Um, because really, especially in the UK, through the NHS, we're not recommended to make any big lifestyle changes when we get diagnosed with cancer. Um, so when I, so my, I suppose the, the changes I was making were like incremental and gradual and they became bigger over time. Um, and people would, I I did start, I started speaking to some of my friends, um, and family of my family were really involved. So they kind of knew everything that was going on, but, um, my friends, not as much. And I didn't have like a lot of the time I, throughout this whole process, I haven't had the energy to have lots of conversations with lots of people, um, like friends, people at work, things like that, because it just feels quite draining to keep, and I'm sure people who've been in a, a situation with any like chronic illness or bereavement or, you know, some big life um, trauma or, or change that like you struggle with having to like, repeat the same story and all those emotions and feelings come up every time you do it and maybe you're fearful of people's reactions or you're just like feeling anxious within yourself or a bit it's it is it's just like really exhausting so I didn't like doing that anyway um and I probably stopped doing that more after a certain point but people even whether I spoke to people in my life about it or not people I was seeing semi-regularly and um, I did take a lot, I, t- I took a step away from a lot of social things like I was and it was a lot of this was going on through like winter and I've, I tend to be more of a hermit in winter anyway <laughs> and hibernate a bit um, so I wasn't seeing as many people but 
um, like people were starting to notice differences and I suppose people were like oh like you're you're eating different food or like if I go I wasn't really going out for food with people but if I did I wouldn't like eat the same things I normally would or I wasn't drinking alcohol or um, I had like quite a, a, a set routine of things I was doing every day I was taking certain supplements and obviously all these changes that people were noticing were like intriguing them so people would ask me quite a few questions and not like I, I explained how my mum made some of these recommendations um to me so there were points where I didn't know why I was doing all those things and I felt a bit lost and I was like probably a bit like disempowered in a way because I was like it's not coming from me it did eventually but I didn't know how I almost felt like I had to justify every decision I made and that's one big thing just in life like you don't need to justify your decisions to anyone if like as long as you're okay with them and they matter to you that's what I think um and yeah but I felt because things because I was approaching it differently I maybe it's just my perception but I just thought people were like well you're gonna have to explain why that is because this doesn't make any sense to us um and I suppose what comes with that is like especially through the there's yeah there's that that fear of like isolation and being misunderstood at a time where you feel really raw and vulnerable and you're going through like a roller coaster of emotions anyway but also like the because you're not having conventional treatment there aren't the same options for support and community that there would be if you were having that so you'll have heard of like everyone knows like cancer research Macmillan in the UK they're like big cancer charities that do a lot in terms of fundraising and as and um there's like breast cancer now and like different specific charities for different types of cancers but they often um offer a lot of services like free free services like counseling um meetups like walking groups uh online like virtual community connect like catch-ups um there's like groups for younger people who are diagnosed with cancer like under 30s or under 35s um and I um, initially I really wanted that because I was like I love I've always like gravitated towards um like almost like societies and clubs and hobbies where I feel connected to lots of people and I was like oh this is I'm gonna find my place in this and I'm gonna find my place in these cancer communities like there's a charity called shine that's for young people I think I signed up to their mailing list and breast cancer now and I was like I'm gonna attend these like conferences and meetups for people and I'm gonna make fr- I'm gonna make other cancer friends and it's gonna be beautiful and I'll I'm entering this new like chapter of my life where I'll you know and none of that I'd I'd really highly doubt that any of it that would have been negative if it had happened I think it would have only brought like positive stuff into my life because it's forging those that community and those connections with people but because I didn't go down this conventional route and I only had surgery and I went against the other uh, treatments I was prescribed there wasn't those things weren't offered to me or weren't available to me in the same way because like one of my friends um, who had had cancer a few, well, quite a few years ago, but when she was younger, she um, found a lot of support through Maggie's, which like is a really amazing charity. And they have like these big centres in different parts of the UK um, where it provides like a kind of, I suppose, a bit of a retreat space away from people who are having, um, who have been diagnosed with cancer and are being treated for cancer as well as their like loved ones and close friends and family to go to and they put on like creative writing classes and um I think they do this like look good feel well thing where it's like you get like free makeup and like you make you made to feel better about yourself while you're going through chemotherapy and uh, there's like loads of different and they yeah they do lots of different events and like uh, training and workplaces and things like that and I did actually visit a Maggie Centre and it was it, the the building in Manchester um near, like where I live is really beautiful and the people there were lovely and there's like nothing to criticize about it but those weren't the right spaces for me um I thought they were at one point but they just like they weren't given like what I decided to do and yeah so I suppose with with all of that because 
became like, well, where's my support? Like, where's my, where's my like creative writing group? I love creative writing, so that's what I was looking for. Um, where's my like, where are the people I get to meet up with on Zoom and like talk about how shit it is being diagnosed with cancer? Like, I just because I felt like such a, um. I felt like such an anomaly because I felt so like I've and I knew I was doing it to myself because I'm like these are the choices you're making so, and I'm sure people would have welcomed me in different ways but even when I went like after I had my surgery I went to like a physiotherapy thing that I was class that I was offered to go to and I felt like a bit of a fraud being there even though I'd had surgery because all the other women there were having all these other treatments and like I knew I wasn't gonna have those so yeah you don't you maybe feel like you can't contribute to the discussion around cancer in the same way because and it's almost as if your experience is being pitted against people who have had all that treatment to be like well you've not had a bad time of it like it can't have been that hard for you because you haven't had to suffer and go through all this stuff but like each person's pain and suffering is individual and I've experienced that in different ways. Like, yeah, I haven't gone through that treatment. I don't know what it's like, so I can't comment on that. But it's not to, it doesn't, like, that doesn't invalidate my experience or make it less um, worthy. So, yeah, I think those are some of the obstacles, like, I faced when um, making these decisions. And, like, yeah, trying to navigate that with, the people closest to me so even with as I've mentioned my partner Reese, we we had like really difficult conversations because um Reese's dad's had cancer before and overcome it and he had radiotherapy um and I like I was really aware of that and I didn't want to cut like to offend him or to like dismiss any of the experience that him and his family had been through and also, like, when I dis- was making the decision that I wasn't going to have radiotherapy or chemotherapy, um, and I was aware that, like, all the things me and my mum were exploring and looking at looked really weird from the outside, but to us it... And it, it felt weird to me, but, like, to try and convey that story, I was like, people, it just looks like witchcraft. <laughs> and we'll get on to witches at a different point, because, oh, there's so much more to say about that. But I, I basically had this conversation with Reese where... I took him into my bedroom one day and I was just like, Reese, we need to chat about something. And I think he was like, oh my God, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? Breaking up with me? No. Oh no, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> but I I was just like, me and my family, I was like, especially me and my mum, we're kind of witches in a way. And <laughs> that's how, I, I think that's how I introduced it because I wanted to do it in a lighthearted way. But I was like, we're, like we don't believe in a lot of what we are about as people is not like to be like woohoo we're so anti-establishment because we live within society we live within like the establishment and benefit from stuff that's like in the capitalist world I guess it's it's not like that it's not like we're so far removed from everything we're like living this off-grid witchy life like making potions in the woods I wish we were doing that but (laughs) it was more to say we're just like we're a bit alternative in our practices and this is why we're exploring all this stuff and I know it looks really weird but you just have to trust me on this and like let me find my own path with it and to give Reese full full credit he's been nothing but amazing and like completely open and just like supportive and never once like I think even where he was fearful that I wasn't maybe doing what he would have wanted me to do or what felt like the right thing because he was scared for what was going to happen to me he still like realized how important it was for me to have autonomy and have that decision making and not rely on someone else or someone else's opinion um so yeah shout out to Reese everyone like I really need to thank him for that um so yeah explaining that to him was quite difficult but also explaining it to like my flatmate um who I've been living with and she it's exactly the same thing in that she's such an open person and so empathetic and so supportive that I'm sure it didn't make a lot of sense to her either and she might come on the podcast at some point too but she 
like she didn't once like really question what I was doing she would like she, she might have done away away from me but she was just fully supportive and fully like this is what you need to do I'm here for you in whatever way you need me to be and that I can't like I can't explain enough what it means to have people like that around you because like you shouldn't need other people to validate that but it's it's definitely reassuring and it fills you with a lot more ease and confidence when you in times of uncertainty um and yeah and even within my family there was a lot of friction there's a lot of division over what I was doing whether it was the right thing my mum and I strongly for the most part I mean we we've had like a bumpy ride with it too because we argued a lot and I think we had to do that a lot of this has been like working out boundaries between ourselves where I've probably been over she's probably been overly protective of me throughout my life I've probably been overly reliant on her and taken a lot of stuff for granted as you do and it's all been I think this whole process has been about us establishing a healthier relationship and I think we had a pretty amazing relationship anyway but it's really helped to cement that um but that's not to say it's not been really really difficult at times and then with my dad and my brother they were more they didn't really they weren't really researching stuff I think they were both so scared and frightened by the whole me getting diagnosed with cancer that they just were like whatever we can do to get you better that's all that matters and we'll be here for you anyway and that was just as valuable but it meant that they would question the decisions mum and I were making because they were like well isn't it dangerous for you to not have chemotherapy isn't it dangerous if you don't have radiotherapy or like if you don't have this hormone treatment like what's going to be the consequence of that and I think they were they would kind of peddle in like a bit more of that conventional cancer um route and story but at the same time still allowing me the space to to just be and just make the decisions based on what I wanted to do um and it's the whole like sort of trajectory of it has been like has been a real building of confidence and building of self-esteem because I think now looking back myself my self-esteem was so low like probably before I was diagnosed with cancer I didn't really realize that but I didn't have any real I didn't have like a I feel like now I have an inner compass that's like constantly directing me and I can rely on that and I it keeps me really grounded and really sure of myself but before I was constantly asking other people to help me make decisions on the most like minuscule things like basic things like what should I eat tonight can someone tell me what to eat or like oh like do I go to this thing on Saturday or do I go to that and uh what should I send this email or should I word it like I really was like being really like I suppose I was stressed and like anxious around all that stuff and it's yeah it's been like a a growth of confidence and a growth of like self being like more self-assured that I can believe in myself and I I am the most like powerful thing in my life and the choices I make affect the life I have and that you know it all it's cyclical life is a circle uh yeah following on from that kind of if you don't go down the conventional cancer route and it's I suppose this applies to anything as well like if you don't take the quote-unquote normal route that everyone thinks you should take where like where do you end up where do you go and that isolation that you might feel um I would say that that's part of the reason for me starting Bitter Strawberries and this whole platform of writing podcasts artwork it's all coming together baby that's what I'm creating (laughs) it's not quite there yet no it's it's an ongoing work it's my creative voice but that's yeah that's the platform that I've decided to channel it through um but the whole reason for me doing a lot of that is because I'm trying to create a space where not only I feel seen and heard and I feel comfortable being myself probably for the first time my whole life properly um and yeah not only just for me but for other people where I feel like we can have those conversations 
create a community and create space around people who don't feel like they fit into a box of a cancer patient or like they aren't doing conventional treatment and they want to discuss other options or it might not be cancer it might be another chronic illness or it might be something to do with your emotional health and you're like well I'm interested in ways I can approach this and what I can learn about myself and you're on maybe you're on like a bit of a self-discovery path and that is really exciting to me and I think the more space the more people put out their own experiences the more like that awakens other people around the world to be like oh this like I've been going through this and this is happening to me but I've just felt so like hidden away and like I'm living this secret life and no one understands me and I can't share my experience because people are so judgmental and there's no I think people will be a lot more understanding than you think but it's how a lot of the time it's how we say things and when you feel like you're doing something so different you can feel quite like agitated and anxious speaking about it because you've you've already at least for me I'm already playing that social like narrative conversation in my head of like how people react to things because that's what I've been told and what like the world's led me to believe um but I think there's so much there's so much value in speaking your truth and that's yeah I'm just trying to say I want to create those spaces that I don't feel like fully exist for this kind of discussion so hopefully you can all join me in that Um, and that's really exciting and yeah power to the people you know that's where it's at um one thing like and it kind of this is going off on a tangent but it still relates to the whole conversation around conventional cancer stories and narratives is that I think especially in the UK and again in western society we're so we're so up our own asses and so like we know what's best and we're like pioneers and we um we have like the like best healthcare jokes we really don't have the best healthcare but we like we you know like we're the these kind of I suppose because it goes back to like the whole like countries that colonize like the big colonizing countries um and that mentality of like we're the best we're the most civilized we're the most progressive like we've got all the answers and that's one thing I really hate about British culture and probably white Western culture is that it puts those experiences on a pedestal and kind of looks down on other approaches to things. And I really, through my through my taking a different path with my cancer treatment, I've really discovered and learned to appreciate so much more the indigenous roots of um healing illness and approaches to health that aren't as widely spoken about and they are they are like i mean i feel like even where they are spoken about they're kind of like westernized and they're like diluted versions that appeal to western people and that it's like go and do a yoga retreat in bali and like um go meditate and go on like a silent retreat and do this like and again I'm not saying like all those things are bad and I'm not judging everyone who does them but what I'm saying is like I think that's the way ancient teachings kind of filter down to people who haven't grown up around that and have grown up in more industrialized countries um yeah like the UK where people where we're just so disconnected from our roots and we're so disconnected from our cult from any culture that we don't really like people don't really know what their identity is or what like yeah what 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 ancient practices there maybe were within cultures within the UK or across Europe or across the I think that's a lot more preserved within countries that have a stronger indigenous culture and population and ancient teachings and traditions that are held onto with marginalized identities because that's where like that is such a strong sense of our identity in the face of oppression that that's like that's where those communities and populations manage to maintain that and I feel like that's so lacking here within the UK because we like because it's we're a colonizer like we we've like gone out and colonized all across the world um and there's no real like respect or 
I think I, maybe it's maybe there's a growing respect within like sort of left field like alter or maybe that's that's been there for years but again it's like a bit more underground or it's associated with like the 60s and the sort of or like new age philosophies and like hippie movements but I like a lot of the practices that I've realized my healing has originated like the things I've been doing when I've been looking at healing and treatment um have originated from are like things like Ayurveda which is an ancient Indian medical system um and that's based on um like ancient writings that rely on a natural and holistic approach to physical and mental or emotional health Um, and it's one of the oldest medical systems in the world and like that's used a lot still in India and across the world with different naturopathic alternative practitioners and things like traditional Chinese medicine um, and like loads of sort of like smaller um, spiritual like emotional practices that are within like more maybe I don't know maybe more like tribal communities across the globe like that's all those things it's like I think we have to get out of this this frame of reference for looking at cancer or looking at chronic like the chronic illnesses that exist within western society are often a product of them are the product they're a product of the way we live and the way we treat our bodies and treat ourselves and treat people and if we step outside of that and look at other countries and other like the ways in which other people live and maybe more like ancient practices or more like things that are more about living around the earth and like the rituals and seasons of life like how much does that actually inform us and how much does that empower us because we have a much better understanding of what the human body and mind because it's all interconnected needs and that's why we have to give credit and like the and acknowledge that because like yeah all those things can be so easily like culturally appropriated as well but it's I think I want to recognize like how important and I I'm very I'm really aware that I don't have a full understanding of any of those practices and it's something I want to learn more about but I owe a great deal to them just in like speaking about them because there I can see that there is like this constant undercurrent that's informed a lot of people who've taken a different route um with cancer treatments so in the final part of this episode I want to talk about so I'm in the last episode I mentioned some of the books my mum and I started looking into when we're looking at different um ways of treating cancer and the different the different research we did and um so I mentioned like the uh naturopathic oncology book by Dr Neil McKinney and Chris Beat Cancer and How to Starve Cancer so they were all like some of the first books we really looked at and PubMed as well which is a medical literature search engine um with loads of studies published but in this in this episode I want to talk more about so they were the books that kind of like were recommended to me that I that uh bits of them resonated with me and informed my decisions at different points but what happened next was that I actually started to discover more stuff for myself and it was more like self-led as in I was going out there looking for stuff and this is what I was uncovering and in that way it made it more meaningful because it just was like speaking to me um much more clearly so one I mean one of the books that like was just absolutely amazing when I read it and I listened to one of my friends got me an audiobook subscription um, and I got this book I got this book on um audible and it was just like pretty transformative it's called Radical Remission and it's by Kelly A. Turner and I think she was a, a like a therapist working in um cancer hospitals and cancer treatment centers across America and she started to realize there were these um stories of people like there was people who overcame like all the odds um from like stage four cancer and went into remission but nothing was really being like documented or published or shared about what uh, or under or really understood about like how that was happening and why 
And so she kind of, she made it a mission through she created a, a website which you can access and actually that still gathers stories from cancer um people who've uh, gone into remission from cancer all all across the world and it kind of tags them and labels them under so you can search for like a specific type of cancer and find people and who've had that and how they've um like treated it and what approach they've taken and all those kinds of things so it's it's really useful for that but she yeah she com- she had this website and then she compiled and she compiled a book and the book is like just so interesting in that it's um I think it explores nine different steps that people uh she found were commonplace among like almost everyone who'd gone into remission from their cancer so the nine um factors that uh she said occurred with the greatest frequency in terms of the um cases that she was looking at of people going into remission were number one changing your diet so that's what I sort of talked about in my first episode taking control of your of your health and I think that's really really interesting because that's what I feel like I've massively done like I feel so empowered over my health and my body I felt incredibly disconnected from my body before like I I think in the first episode of this podcast series I described it as sleepwalking a bit because I was sleepwalking I felt like I was sleepwalking through life like I didn't have any real awareness of like physical sensations in my body or what they were telling me or even I think I actually I think I said I didn't have that many symptoms leading up to getting diagnosed but actually over a longer period of time I had incredibly big uh health conditions and health problems that had just I was just completely ignoring um that like needed addressing and like now I'm so I'm a, I'm aware of like the slightest twinge in my body or the slightest kind of emotional like change my emotional state and I'll I'll always be like "Mm, why is that happening what's going on and I'll question it more now because I feel so empowered and aware of everything and before I just didn't have that at all um and taking control of your health I think goes back to that whole like I said how difficult it is to step outside of the norms and to step outside of your comfort zone and to be assertive and to talk to people people in authority like people like doctors and professionals and people that go through all this training and you just feel like I just felt like I was this nobody in the face of all that of almost like people in white coats you're like oh but I don't have any credentials next to my name I've got a BA on in history and politics at the University of Glasgow <laughs> and an MA from Manchester just there you go but I'm not so like I'm not from a scientific medical background like what you know why would they want to listen to me what kind of what ground do I have to stand or like credentials do I have to stand on um and so to really like put yourself in a position of decision making and get facing all of that is so powerful and it does give you that control because I don't think you can ever feel bad or at least I don't feel like I can now you can't feel bad about a decision that you make for you that feels right in that moment and feels even if you change your mind later like that you're you know it's where where you feel pressurized to do something or you feel obligated to do something or you feel like you should do something but you're not sure why that's where you really need to question it and be like hold on a minute is this am I just doing this to please other people because as I've said before I was a massive people pleaser and one of the only motivating things for me to do chemotherapy radiotherapy all the treatments that were prescribed to me was to please people because I was like well people will be nicer to me if I have those things because that's what they're expecting me to do and I'm being promised this whole package of care if I do that and this whole package of being seen as this kind of cancer warrior and supported and like lifted up like if I go down I'm not again not saying that that doesn't come with complications and its own hardships but um and it's not the easier path either but that's like yeah I think taking control of your health is just incredibly powerful and it looks different for different people and then number three she said was following your intuition and I spoke about that I I now have a more intuitive feeling towards my decision making and choices in life Um, and I think 
women in particular have a very strong intuition (laughs) i can't say that word that is like untapped and unrealized and has been forgotten about for centuries um i think it exists within our menstrual cycles it exists within um that we're meant to be more cyclical beings that live within the the yeah the cycle of um of our menstrual cycle and the seasons and cycles of the moon and this again might sound all witchy but it's not it's like these are things that exist within our world they're naturally occurring things and they speak more to the rhythms in which we're meant to live but patriarchal capitalist society has just pushed us away from it people and it's really sad and we just need to we need to rediscover it but it's easier said than done um i'm still trying to understand it all but getting a sense of I think most people would describe intuition as being like a gut feeling and sometimes you can you know you can walk into a room and you can think "Mm, the energy's off really often here I'm getting like a bad vibe people don't I don't feel very welcome um I feel like something bad's about to happen almost like that sixth sense of like what you know what's about to go wrong like um I some of that is a big part of that is yeah gut instinct intuition is an inner knowing that something's not right for you and that's exactly what this whole process felt like for me in terms of the conventional pathway um number four is using herbs and supplements so I used a lot of herbs and supplements throughout my um my protocol that I created for myself with my mum um and like too, way too many to list and I don't think they were all perfect or right or I don't think they healed me of cancer but I think they massively helped like one thing I found I was really low in from blood tests and blood tests by the way can tell you a lot about um a lot about your health in general but especially your risk of cancer or whether you like whether you have cancer um I had really really low vitamin d and when the NHS says it's low that's low to the NHS's standards, but it's critically, critically low, as I found out, um, because the standards of vitamin, the levels of vitamin D within people within the UK are generally low anyway, because we have bad weather, we don't see the sun that much. Um, probably a lot of us spend loads of time indoors or at laptops and like in offices. And we, yeah, we don't, we don't get enough sun exposure and we're not like the main way to get, or the only real way to get vitamin D apart from through supplementation is from the sun. So mine was so, I I can't remember what my, uh, sorry, my score or number was, but it was like in the twenties. And when I went to see this herbalist, she was like, that's incredibly low and deficient. Um, And I had to take like really high vitamin d supplements to increase that and try (laughs) in autumn and winter in the uk to get as much sun or outdoor like time as i could um and yeah i'll cover more of herbs and supplements in another episode and then number five is releasing suppressed emotions i would say this was one of the biggest for me and i talked about it in episode one of my podcast but the anger grief sadness resentment that I'd held on to for years from different um I suppose big trauma and small traumatic events that happened throughout my life was so severe that that was I believe that's a lot of what caused my cancer was not allowing myself to express that and trying to keep it hidden and trying to put on this like happy-go-lucky persona to everyone um and be positive and optimistic all the time because I genuinely thought I was like well if I'm if I'm positive and optimistic all the time and I believe I am then I can't experience any pain or suffering but life's that isn't life like you can't go through life without pain or suffering life is about experiencing that and not even how well yeah how you overcome it but like I think um Josephine Connectley, who is on social media, so you should all check her out. I've referenced her before. She's a hypnotherapist that I work with. She um, described it to me as like, your brain is always trying to push you from pain to pleasure. And that's what I've, it says a lot about the human experience. Like, we you can't experience one emotion without the other. 
and you can't only experience good emotions. So really suppressing stuff, it it lives within your body. It, it kind of it forms muscle tension. It forms like chronic illness. Like stress is such a huge factor. I've got episodes planned on stress, um, but that's it's all creating like this negative energy that sits within your body that doesn't get released, and like is the starter. I believe for most diseases or most illnesses. Um, and you've really got to address that. Like, I think the emotional component for me was the biggest part of my journey and is ongoing. Like, I'm, it's never going to be complete. It's just a, a constant awareness building um, exercise and a different approach to life. So at number six is increase... I mean, she says increasing positive emotions. So one thing I've read, and I can't remember where I've read it and I really want to be able to quote the person who said it so maybe I'll reference it in the show notes or something but someone said that um the hardest emotion for people to feel or people to experience is joy like so few people in life let themselves experience joy because we're so afraid of it because even when we're experiencing moments of joy and pleasure we're so fearful that something's going to go wrong. Like so many humans have that mindset of like, you know, it's like, oh, I've just brought, like I've just given birth to a child and I've brought new life into the world. Like, but what if, like, what if they catch a really bad illness or what if something happens to them or they're going to face all this, all the evils of the world or, oh, I'm, you know, I'm celebrating a new job or a new relationship, but like, what if in six months we're not together and we break up and we're like, you know, people are always kind of anticipating the worst. And I think that's what she talks about a lot in this book around increasing positive emotions is trying to really feel those and not just like, I suppose we experience like pseudo positive emotions sometimes where we're like, oh, like this is like, we think things should be good. And we're like, oh, if we think they're good, then they are good and we feel pleasure from them. But a lot of the time we don't. So, um, embracing social support is number seven and that's really key I think finding like I spoke about earlier about finding your community even if you feel like it's not immediately apparent to you or it's not in the places you would have traditionally looked in terms of your circle of friends or family and you have to go outside of that I think there's there will be some social support out there for everyone it's just trying to like explore different avenues to connect with the right people um and some of the most important connections that I've forged over this whole like past seven eight months um since being diagnosed with cancer have been people I've had one conversation with online but it's been like a really powerful conversation and it's transformed the way that I've thought and I felt supported and hopefully they felt supported or it's like Instagram messages and DMs and think yeah with with complete strangers but it's that it still feels like support so support can look like so many different can take so many different forms and even um doing things like I I've always loved art and creativity hopefully you'll see a lot of my artwork artwork at some point through this platform but I I signed up to a zine making course like not that long after I'd had surgery And that was brilliant. Like it was one of the best things I've done. And I didn't really talk to the people on that course about that I had cancer. Um, But it was all about like zines can be quite personal ways of sharing stories. And they're traditionally, it's like a a DIY movement that's quite um, radical and supports like marginalised voices. So it felt like quite fitting in a way that that's what I gravitated towards. And um, the like the people on that course were just so vibrant and exciting and had all these this energy and create different creative ideas and projects they wanted to fulfill and that sort of reignited a spark in me where I was like oh I feel like I'm connecting with my people with people who get me and people who um, have the same interests as me and passions as me and that that was social support even though it wasn't support for my cancer number eight is deepening your spiritual connection this bit is so exciting to me 
I feel like I'm on I'm I'm going through a constant spiritual awakening and some people might be like switching off at this point or like I don't want to listen to any more of this stuff because stop talking about spirituality. But I think we've, like, so many people, again, especially in the UK, we're quite a secular society um, and, like, religion is a sort of... is dwindling. Like, organised religion is, like, dwindling in numbers and things like that. People are, like... But maybe that means people are more spiritual, but just in different ways that aren't as obvious to us. Um... Yeah, I think I I come from a family that's quite cynical in terms of spirituality and I don't mean that in a harsh way to anyone, a.k.a. my dad. (laughs) He won't mind me saying that because I'll probably still agree. But um, I've never, I I studied, I did religious studies at A-level and everyone always thought that was a weird choice for me because they were like, oh, like, aren't your family, like, just pretty, like, atheist and stuff? Or, like, wouldn't you only study religious studies if you wanted to be a priest? I'm like, no. Um, Because a lot of what you do is, like, philosophical. And I think I find religion really interesting, even if I don't agree with a lot of it. But I I suppose I'd always had that openness to it because I knew, like, a fair bit about it from studying stuff. Um, But spirituality is something, like, so different that I think everyone has everyone has the opportunity to connect with and it looks different for different people and some people find that through things that are more traditionally associated with it like yoga and meditation um and I would say I found it just through doing a lot of emotional self-exploration and work on myself and things like hypnotherapy that I did really helped me to discover more of a spiritual connection Um, But so much of it can be just like, what's your connection to the world around you? And not to like, I don't mean sort of like man-made, like commercial world that we live in. I mean the natural world. I mean like, what's your connection to nature and the seasons and like the fruit of the earth and like and but or or like and and your connection to people to other humans like what what does that look like and how does that inform like your values and what you um what you really care about and who you who you want to connect with and the type of life you want to lead because I think once you have once you realize that deeper sense of like spirituality within yourself you again you you feel so empowered that you're like oh this resides and like rests within me it's comforting I know I can like call upon this at any time and it'll help me make decisions it helps me with my identity and knowing who I am and yeah I'm sure I'll do an episode all on spirituality um but like Reese, my partner and I have had like some really good conversations about this stuff and how like we're intrigued to get more into it and find discover more because there's so much out there and there's so much that probably won't appeal to us but it's all about like yeah discovering and finding out what that means um and the final point that um kelly makes in her radical remission book is having strong reasons for living so i think she talks about how a lot of cancer patients the ones who had the strongest reasons for living and not just living for other people so some people I I think I was like this in the beginning I was I didn't think about myself I just thought about other people in my life and how bad it would be if I wasn't there or like would you know I didn't or or how awful I'd feel if I couldn't be there for them in the same way I always have been I wasn't thinking about my reasons for living like what really drives me what makes me like want to be on this earth and want to be alive like I I was I was quite like um unaware of that I was just very tuned into well I'm an I'm acts of service like I'm a people pleaser I'm um I feel better when I help others and that's not to say that that can't still be part of my identity but that's also a big part of the way I've been socialized as a woman and I think especially women aren't encouraged to have or marginalised people like often aren't encouraged to have a stronger sense of 
I'm, I'm men actually I think we, I think it happens to everyone we're not encouraged to have strong sense of our identity because we're we are a bit like cogs in a machine sometimes it's like very the world can feel like very individualistic in one way and I think we miss out on the, those like bigger community aspects but I think it's individualistic in a sense that everyone's constantly chasing something that's going to make them happy and people will always say oh I'll be happier when like when I have more money when I have a house that I own when I've paid off my mortgage when I get this job when I get this promotion when I have kids when I like it's everything's like future looking and it's like but if you can't be happy in the here and now and you can't find contentment and peace within where you're at then you're constantly going to be chasing that because none of those things are ever going to fulfill that criteria. It's just, a, it's like a moving goalpost. Um, and so you need to have strong reasons for living in the present, not for something that you hope will happen or you predict will happen or you want to happen in the future. And yeah, there's just like, there's a lot of intention there and and what that can do for your whole belief system and in making you more resilient and stronger to deal with something like cancer because you're like well my reasons for living are so strong that I know I can I can take this on and I can deal with it so before I finish this episode I'm going to pay homage to the great the magnificent Gabor Mate who is just incredible and I've, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned him before and I know I said earlier in this podcast episode with the last one like don't get too attached to one person's ideologies and um, teachings because I think you run the risk of like kind of just being too dependent on that and not making your own decisions um, <laughs> Saying that, I I love Gabo Mate's teachings so much, and I think he is probably most, one of the most incredible, like living people with the, the kind of platform he has. Um, that like we can all look up to and learn something from. But trying not to put him on such a pedestal because I'm trying to live by what I've just said and what I've like recommended everyone else to. Um, because again, there's stuff he probably says that I don't agree with, but a lot of it I do. Um, and his book, like the reason I'm mentioning him is because I, I can't even fully remember how I first discovered him. Um, maybe one of his books was recommended to me or I found it for myself. But his uh, his book, When the Body Says No, is absolutely incredible. And I think that like, for me, really like solidified my belief, my beliefs about where my cancer originated from, that I believe it's all emotional, um, that I believe like my, uh, the suppression of like negative emotions that I felt for years and years and trauma that I hadn't processed and acknowledged and dealt with was all the root cause of my cancer and it caused me to do things that were unhealthy and like stressful and poor sleeping patterns and for my hormone cycle and menstrual cycle to be all over the place like so it had so many knock-on effects but really like peeling all the layers of the onion back what was underneath all of that was all this emotional baggage and stuff um and that might and again I'm not saying that that's the case for everyone who has breast cancer or any type of cancer but it definitely was for me and you can try and argue me on that but I won't let you because I know it's my body it happened to me um but his I want to read like a really so when the when the body said I was going to read a really amazing quote which I will read in a minute um but just to give you a indication of what the book's about it's um so he's a he's a physician he's a medical doctor um but he worked with a lot of patients who were in end-of-life care and he kind of observed a lot and questioned a lot of like mainstream um teachings uh, uh, teachings mainstream medical treatments and things like that and he's really a lot of his work is around like I suppose trauma and childhood specifically childhood trauma um, and stress and his uh, when the body says no is all about like how 
disconnected we've become from our bodies, how the body and the mind is all interconnected and is all as one and we shouldn't be treating it separately. Um, but we like we don't have the the comp- emotional competence that we once would have had as humans to sense when we sense stress or to deal with stress in the same way. And we're exposed to so much more external stresses in our environment that we're just totally unprepared for and unadjusted, like, well, not, yeah, we're not adjusted to deal with. And if you think about how quickly the world has changed in the past 20, well, 5, 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 years, especially within, like, just look at that in the context of the UK. Like, I just know from, like, growing up, as in the 90s and early noughties how much technology's changed and technology's been a big part of my life but I feel like I've kind of it's like the development has gone over my lifespan and that and it's like I feel I feel so out of touch that like me and Reese were always laughing because I feel like for my age group I'm like I am I've got a shit awareness of technology I always tell this story when I took a floppy disk into school when all my friends had memory discs <laughs> memory discs <laughs> memory sticks when I was at high school and I didn't know that people didn't use floppy disks anymore that's how like outdated my family is with thing with technology um sorry that was a slight sidetrack but like like all these things were just that technology is advancing so much faster than we're able to keep up with and the you know I suppose um yeah the politics of the world the like the problem the problems like the disasters the kind of like war like everything like all these things the generational trauma the generational generational stresses um and then and all of that gets passed down and I, again oh, I in this whole this whole episode I'm just referencing other things I want to do podcast episodes on it's like a mental reminder to myself but I'm going to do a big thing on generational stuff and ancestral things at some point um but yeah Gabo Mate his book when the body says no one of the best books I've ever read in my life and I I actually listened to it on audio uh, book as well and he um it's like described in the like kind of blurb about it as an accessible and groundbreaking groundbreaking book filled with the moving stories of real people. Uh, medical doctor and best-selling author Gabor Mate shows that emotion and psychological stress play a powerful role in the onset of chronic illness, including breast cancer, prostate cancer, multiple sclerosis, and many others, even Alzheimer's disease. When the Body Says No is an impressive contribution to research on the physiological connection between life stresses and emotions and the body systems governing nerves, immune apparatus and hormones. With great compassion and erudition, Gabor Mate demystifies medical science and as he did in Scattered Minds, which is one of his other books, um, he invites us all to be our own health advocates. And I love that. Like I feel like a, a big part of what this these two part episodes have been about in terms of challenging the conventional cancer stories is about being your own health advocate and being empowered about your health and the decisions you choose to make so I feel like he is a big believer in that and helped me to believe in that Um, and I'm just going to read one of my favorite quotes from the book I could dedicate a whole episode to reading quotes of Gabor Mate but um he says the salient stresses in the lives of most human beings today at least in the industrialized world are emotional just like laboratory animals unable to escape people find themselves trapped in lifestyles and emotional patterns inimical to their health the higher the level of economic development it seems the more anesthetized we have become to our emotional realities we no longer sense what is happening in our bodies and cannot therefore act in self-preserving ways. The physiology of stress eats away at our bodies, not because it has outlived its usefulness, but because we may no longer have the competence to recognise its signals. And that, in a nutshell, is what happened to me. (laughs) I feel like I was so dysregulated, my nervous system was so all over the place, I had so much stress in my life, and I, I would say, I feel 
sometimes I feel guilty saying this and, and strange saying it, even though I know it's true. And I think, I hope it is, like, gives confidence to other people to and reassures people that they can express that if they feel like they've been through something um, stressful. Because stress doesn't, like, we think of things like trauma and PTSD as being associated with war and, like, um, yeah, and, and big kind of world events and horrible, like, life-threatening things, which I, I guess I'm, I am talking about when I'm talking about cancer, but it's, like, it's so much more than that and everyone has stress in their lives in lots, probably way more ways than any of us realise it affects us. And that's been the biggest lesson for me through all of this has been paying attention to my body, paying attention to the emotions and the feeling emotions create within my body, um, trying to regulate my nervous system and just like tuning into all of that and not feeling like the the pressure to do anything medical that someone else is asking you to do, that someone else's treatment plan and protocol like can't can't be good for you if you're being pressurized to do that is what is my opinion on it and that's what I felt like and that's why I had to take a different path um and yeah we can explore Gabor Mate in another podcast but I thought he'd be a really nice like person and quote to end on because I feel like it's so fitting for everything I've wanted to talk about so thank you for listening I'm Rosanna, this is Bit of Strawberries and I'll see you next time.